This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. How's things, Elliot? Yes, good thanks. We've not done a pod since before the Christmas break with the games sort of scattered about all over the place and games getting called off left, right and centre. Did you have a nice Christmas? Oh, it wasn't bad, mate. Pretty quiet, pretty steady, nothing uh, too busy. Good, good. Um, and I'm sure a raucous New Year party, as always, in the in the Smith household. No, not quite. Not this, not this year, considering I got struck down by the old... The old COVID, but... Uh... Well, I didn't want to mention that in case you didn't want to mention well, that. But yes, you have caught the disease, haven't you? I have, but it's honestly nothing more than a normal winter cold I've found it. So I've been absolutely fine and at the a end negative, of it now. Negative today to kick off Indeed, the pod as well. nothing more than a cold for me, so not too bad. Good, good. As always, a reminder to subscribe on this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Champ Chat Pod 24. On today's podcast, we're going to be breaking down all the key talking points from another busy weekend of championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And where better to start our championship roundup than at St Andrews, where Birmingham City were beaten 2-1 by Queen's Park Rangers for back-to-back away wins for the R's. Um, Chris Willock, I want to talk about, the, the star of the show in this game, with a, a fantastic assist first and foremost, um, and then a brilliant goal himself. I think with Elias Chera obviously going off to the African Cup of Nations now um, with Morocco, he's going to be a really crucial player for QPR this uh, this month and moving forward. They've been playing with dual tens all season with Willock sort of to the left, chair to the right. But uh, against Birmingham, we saw the, the more of a 3-5-2 system with Willock more central, two strikers up front in grey and Lyndon Dykes. And I think in that, you know, with one singular number 10, playing in that role with the freedom to drift left and right. Um, I think we'd, we'd naturally say Willock's more of a winger playing in a central area, whereas Chair's probably more of a natural number 10. But I think with the the running of Andre Gray, Andre Gray's movement's really good, I think, particularly at championship level. And I think those two combining, it showed a lot of good promise. And I think that second goal, the dribbling ability, the way he manipulates the ball, feints to go one way, then the other, sells um, George Friend an absolute dummy. And then it's a fantastic compost finish. And he's someone for me that's really kicked on this season. Certainly he had a really good 2021. Um, I think that at times prior when he was at Huddersfield and previous loans he'd had from Benfica, and he came through the Arsenal Academy, let's not forget. So clearly very talented individual. But that consistency, being involved in games for 90 minutes was a real problem. And I think playing more centrally, playing in that dual 10 that they've had this season and now as a singular number 10. I think he gets him involved in the game more, keeps him consistent, and he's really starting to prove that he's got that quality <coughs> and consistency to perhaps, you know, be, A, be a star player at the Championship and maybe even push one level higher, whether that's with QPR or elsewhere. But he, it was all about him for this one in this game. And as I say, really good ball-carrying ability for the first goal, lovely pullback and Albert Adoma finishing that off. And then the second goal, just brilliant movement, brilliant dribbling. Um, and it's a great finish as well. And he, for me, is someone that probably is one of was one of the best performers for the entire 2021 because he really hit his stride in the back end of that season when QPR hit their good form after January last year. And it, hopefully, if he can have another good year like that, 
in 2022, whether it's with QPR or elsewhere, we might be seeing him in the Premier League. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think he's been superb over the last 12 months, just as QPR have as a whole. So he's certainly been key to their upward, upward in form and things like that. But just on the goal, first of all, at the weekend, I mean, you, you've summed it up perfectly. What, what a goal it was. It was one of those that if it was in the Premier League, it would be played over and over again on Sky and Match of the Day and things like that. It was one certainly for him to be proud of his quick feet and his dribbling ability and the, and the ability to bend it into that far corner from such a tight angle as well. It's a, it's a superb finish and it, it epitomises what he's all about. He's been in great form in the last month or so. And for me, I think he is slowly becoming one of the most unsung heroes in the Championship. I don't think there is many better at what he does. And like you say, he's got the ability to kick on now. He's, he's um, <coughs> excuse me, he's 24 at the end of this month. It's a good age. For me, I think we've seen in the last 12 months that he's got the potential to play in the Premier League in years to come. And like you said, you don't come through the Arsenal Academy for nothing. There's certainly a player in there and I think he has kicked on massively in the last 12 months. And like you said, in that number number 10 position where he can drift either side, I think it suits his game perfectly because he spent a lot of his career so far playing out wide, but drifting inside now seems to be where he's coming to the fore and being able to support the likes of Andre Gray and Lyndon Dykes. And for me, I think with a player like Willock, who I think he's slowly become something of a luxury player at this level, I think he's got the ability to really make a name for himself between now and the end of the season. I think with players around him, such as Lyndon Dykes, Andre Gray, Charlie Austin, I think he's got the potential to thrive because if he gets his crosses and his through balls bang on the money, he's got players there who are going to finish off the chances that he's creating. Because I think QPR, when you break it down player for player, Certainly in the attacking ranks, they've got one of the best selection of attacking players in the league when you think about it. So, I mean, Andre Gray, he's he's acquired big transfer fees in the past. I think he's been an excellent signing for QPR, even though the goals haven't quite been as frequent as he would have liked. But, I mean, when he's on form, he's a really good player at this level, Andre Gray. And if he's got somebody like Willock supplying him, he's going to score goals. But, I mean, Willock, he's, he's been around a little bit. I mean, Huddersfield, Benfica, West Brom, Arsenal... But for now, it seems like he's he's found a home where Mark Warburton has managed to drill things into him, get him playing how he wants. And he's now got 10 direct goal contributions this season. He only got eight in the whole of last season. So it proves that he's taken his game to a new level. Stats back it up. And when he seems to score as well, QPR seems to win. So he's something of a good luck charm in that sense as well. So I've been really impressed by him. And I think for, for a player at the age of almost 24, I think he's got a very exciting future ahead of him. And for QPR, I think they should be they should be hoping this month that they can keep hold of him because I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to have a few sniffing around. Yeah, I would expect him to stay at QPR this month, but if he continues that sort of form, hits 15, 20 goal contributions mm. in the summer, then you would then potentially be be vulnerable if QPR don't get promoted. I have to say I'm growing increasingly worried about Birmingham. Um, it's starting to unravel, it feels to me, a little bit at St Andrews. One win in eight games for them. We've spoken countless times about them missing the quality of Tai Chong. Uh, Riley McGree's now gone back to the to MLS two. Um, Lee Bowie is hit out at the board because of the January budget and all that early season optimism that was around the club seems to have vanished. In my opinion, they're trying to blood some youngsters as well because the squad's thin at the minute. Um, George Hall started up front for the first time in the league this season. He's only seventeen. Um, Jordan James continued in midfield. He had to be drafted in after they had a, a bit of a suspension crisis in the centre of midfield last month. He's still playing in there. It's not the ideal environment to blood young players. And clearly, Lee Bowie, you must feel that he hasn't got 
much other option than to throw these kids in at the deep end. Now, we've seen with Drew Bellingham and the Birmingham Academy, they're clearly going to be talented players to be playing in the Championship. But when you're on a bad run of form and when the mood around the club just doesn't feel great and it hasn't felt great for a long time and it, it obviously improved when Bowie came in, but now it feels like those frustrations of previous managers are starting to catch up with Lee Bowyer. And I would also say that I think Lee Bowyer is quite an emotional person and I think that he's not got a very good poker face ultimately. And when he's unhappy with something, it can really probably drag the mood down of the squad generally. But equally the opposite end of that is when things are going well, he probably makes you feel about 10 feet tall. So at the minute they're in a bad moment and I have to say, given where they are, they're not that far above the relegation zone. Now, luckily, I don't think we've got that. I think the quality at the bottom of the championship compared to last year, for example, or maybe in the year four, I think it's lower this year personally. So I'm not worried particularly, but they do need to start turning things around and just the general mood in the club as well. <coughs> yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. I think... We, we've seen what Lee Bowyer is capable of. I mean, they started the season reasonably well. They, they got a good haul of points on the board in the first few weeks. And they almost seem to have gone downhill since Tahiti Chong picked up that injury. I think that's been a key turning point. Obviously, people can look at the off-field issues and they have been problematic and it can't be easy for Lee Bowyer to have to work with and nobody's, nobody's saying that it isn't. But when you lose a player of Tahiti Chong's credentials and his quality and how just how well he'd started at Birmingham, you were bound to see a dip and it has coincided with his injury. Since they lost him, they have struggled. They've won two games since Halloween. So it is a really big problem for Birmingham at the minute. And I mean I mean when you, when you look at the games that they have lost, they've recently recently lost to a, a good informed Blackburn side, a QPR side that are yeah, a bit hit and miss, but overall are doing pretty well this season. But then you look at the other games they've lost, lost to Reading narrowly, lost to Hull. A uh, nil-nil draw with Cardiff at home. A two-two those draw with three, Cardiff those, at home. Those last say. three results you've just cited there—that's where the concept yeah, creeps in. That—that—that that, that is exactly what it is. The teams beneath them in the table they have struggled to get the better of. And I still, when you look at it, I mean, obviously Lee Bowie has had to draft in a lot of young players this season. He's had to rely on them heavily at times. And I still think though, with the players that they've had at the top end of the pitch, such as your Troy Deeney, your Lucas Jukovics, your, your Scott Hogan's, it's 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 a set of players that, for me, should be doing better at the same time. They've got plenty of experience under their belts over years at this level, and they should be certainly looking at themselves and thinking, look, we, we've got to do better here. The background noise is going to, obviously, it's going to play a part. There's no doubt about that. It's going to have an impact. But on the pitch itself, I think Birmingham are capable of better. This month is key. They've brought in Ted Mengi from Manchester United on loan, so they've strengthened their defensive ranks. Uh, with a with a good young sign, I mean, I've learned a little bit about about Tenen Mengi in the last few months, and he, he's quite highly rated by those at United. So that should be a good he's quite sign. Quite well known at Derby last season, didn't he? He did. I think they he would did, have liked to keep him. It's a good little bit of experience that he's gained, despite his young age. So he can he can uh, relate with the Championship and, and settle in hopefully pretty quickly. Chong is believed to be well ahead of schedule, so if they can get him back in the next few months and get him somewhere close to where he was prior to that thigh injury, that'll be a really big lift. But like you said, I don't think they're in great danger of going through the trapdoor this season. I don't think they're going to get sucked into it because I do believe, like you said, the quality at the bottom end of the table is a lot, lot poorer than it was this time last year. However, at the same time, that can very quickly change. And Birmingham, they've got to get wins on the board. It's as simple as that. The fans are not going to put up with this level of results. Lee Bowie is not going to put up with it. And 
you mentioned a good thing there about, about him being an emotional character. There's no doubt about that. You know what he's like. He's such a passionate figure. He displayed that throughout his playing career. So he's got to start turning things around pretty quickly. I mean, one point from the last four games is not good enough. There's no doubt about that. The goals haven't exactly been flowing either in recent weeks. So that's a, that's a bit of a worry, which is surprising when you take into account the strikers they've got. No one to supply them, though. But it's all right having you exactly, have Robert Lewandowski was, up front. I was going to come to that. That's the thing where since Tahiti Chong's been injured, they, they've had no creativity from the midfield areas. They've had nobody supplying. And that is the issue. They need playmakers. They need some wingers that are quick, direct and can supply. And that is where the issues lie for Birmingham. They've got no no attacking zest and energy from behind the front line to supply those, to, to do the damage that you know they're capable of. Because, I mean, Zhukovic, Dini, Hogan, yeah, they, they might be a little bit old school, but they know where the net is if you supply them. They, they've got a good record at this level, all three of them. So, for me, Birmingham this this month, they've got to get somebody in, maybe two or three that can create, run the channels, get balls into the box. Because we know that Birmingham, when they're at it, they can cause teams problems. They're a very, very strange side because when they're in form, they can be an absolute nightmare to face. But when they're out of form, it can be a luxury to be up against them. So they've got to use the January transfer market to the best they can. Lee Bowie needs all the support he can get. At the minute, it doesn't seem highly likely that they're going to be here. Yeah, Maybe doing much in terms of big arrivals, but if they can get a few loanies here and there, maybe scour the free agent market. But they've got they've got to get somebody in who can create chances because if they don't, they are going to get sucked into this battle and, and going to have to look over their shoulder. Even though I think in the long run, I do think they'll be fine this season. I don't think they will go down, but at the minute, it's it's not good enough. I mean, one point from the last twelve, it's it's pretty drab. Yeah, pretty worrying. Reading two, Derby County two. Where I mean, where do we start with Derby? We've not. This is the first pod we've done during their run, so it would be remiss of us not to reference the previous victories and the fantastic form they're currently in. Um, and that never say die attitude was out in full force at the uh, the Medeski Stadium or the car leasing stadium, as it's now known, as they fought back from uh, two goals down in the 86th and 91st minute. Now they did have a little bit of luck with a, a pretty glaring error from Luke Southwood, who has been overall excellent for Reading this season, but that was a bad mistake. The second goal is pure quality, though. Nathan Byrne, what a cross. What a header. Um, I mean, the aesthetics of it, it looks so pleasing on the eye, that header. Bottom corner. The cross is magnificent, as I say, from Nathan Byrne. And that's 10 points from four games for Derby. 11 points from safety. I'm pretty adamant they're going to finish above Barnsley, at least at this point, because they are playing like a probably a 13th, 14th place side at the minute, which is a bloody miracle given the, the pre-season preparations they had. Is it going to be enough to keep them up? I'd love to say yes. In my heart of hearts, I'm still going to say no. But you've, I think, I think everyone's gone from. I think a lot of people would see Derby as a club prior to the season. Where I think a lot of people like to take the mick out of Derby. Probably not a neutral fa- favourite by any chance. But with the way they're playing and just the, you know, the the spirit against such adversity, of which very little is their own making in terms of the players on the pitch. Wayne Rooney and the supporters mainly, I think a lot of people would like to see them stay up. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you have to admire them, don't you? You really do. And I'm going to take the opportunity now to, to issue an apology to Wayne Rooney because when he got that job, I was very critical about it. I said that it was a disaster waiting to happen. I didn't see the sense in it. He's proven me wrong in the last few months. I mean, to have achieved what he has, even though they're rooted to the foot of the table in the circumstances, 
is quite remarkable, really. I mean, the the attitude and the spirit of that group of players, you just simply have to admire. They, they've been excellent. They really have. Um, I saw the game against West Brom the day after Boxing Day. I watched that one and I was I was quite impressed with Derby. I must admit, West Brom were poor on the day, admittedly, but Derby, again, rolling the sleeves up, digging in, fighting and got the just rewards. They won the game 1-0, albeit on a Sam Johnston or Kazim Richards pouncing on it. But to have taken 10 points from the last 12 on offer is a sign that this team is not going to give up without a fight. And the longer this run goes on, just as each game passes by, you begin to think, could they do it? Could they achieve the impossible and do it? I think it's highly unlikely still, but I think they're going to run it very, very close. When you look at it, they've only lost two games since bonfire night. It's now the 4th of January. It's a remarkable run, and both of those defeats were only by one goal. In that time, they've beaten Bournemouth. They've held Fulham to a draw. They've beaten West Brom. They've won at Stoke. They are really, really making a stir here, and you've got to admire them. I mean, Wayne Rooney, he's, he's had to deal with so much flack and so much difficulty to have even got a squad to be almost thinking, is there any point? We know we're going to go down. This Derby side seemingly doesn't know when it's beaten. The draw at Reading proves that. To have come back from 2-0 down with five minutes to go is unbelievable. So you've got to give them huge credit. You've got to admire them. And you honestly have to start thinking, if this run persists, could they achieve the impossible and survive? It's not likely, but you never know. But I think I agree with you. I think at this minute, in, at this moment in time, I think they could certainly finish above Barnsley. So that would be an achievement in itself, considering they had 21 points deducted. But just lastly, when you look back at the recruitment that they did in the summer, everybody was looking at it and almost laughing at Derby, thinking, do they honestly think this is going to give them a, a, a hope in hell of staying up? When you look down from 17th downwards in the championship table at the minute, Derby, seven defeats. Nobody around them has lost fewer than that. They've lost less games this season than Stoke, than Middlesbrough, than Huddersfield. They've only lost two more than Blackburn have who are second. This is how balmy this league is, but huge credit to Derby, huge credit to Wayne Rooney. And like you say, they've been a bit of a club that's everybody poked fun at in the last few months for everything that's gone on. But now... I think they're secretly winning over a lot of admirers and I think a lot of people are rooting for them because I think it would be one of the greatest achievements football's ever seen in this country if they were to do it. So, got to take your hat off to them. Got, got to say well done to them. And their never-say-die attitude could could be what achieves one of the most improbable miracles football's seen in a long, long time. So, well done to them. Yeah, it's been fantastic to see. And as I say, I think a lot of neutrals will be rooting for them because the way the supporters have galvanised the players, Wayne Rooney's done a fantastic job there. Really good to see. Um, for Reading, I thought they did all right in this one, to be honest. Um, lovely goal from Junior Hoylet for the opener. That Southwood error is just really costly. And he has been good this season, so I don't want to go too overboard on it. But I do have to say I think that's genuinely cost them three points because I think if they, that error doesn't happen and it doesn't go back to 2-1 and Derby get the tails up, I think they see out the game and probably win 2-0. So that's got to be highlighted, unfortunately. Um, only one win in six for them now, and given the points deduction, they've got to start getting some points on the board. Still waiting for the likes of Lucas Zhao and some other key players to get back. Be interesting to see what they do with John Swift this month, out of contract in the summer. To be quite honest, if I was them, I would do everything I can to keep him, even if it means losing him for free in the summer. I think he's worth more to them this season to keep them up as much as anything. 
than it is if they would get what a million pounds for someone with six months left on the contract, a million pounds and a half. Like I, I think it's worth more for them to keep it, for him to stay and keep them in the division. So, be interested to see how that develops over the course of January. And uh, one win in six. This was just a game they had to get over the line, and I'm afraid that in an individual error has has probably cost them all three points. Stoke City one, Preston North end two. The Ryan Lowe re- revolution continues. That's back to back wins for North End after having a, a spout of games postponed over the Christmas period. Back to back wins against Barnsley and against Stoke. Two two one victories for Lowe. Do want to talk about Stoke first of all? I do think they were a little bit unlucky to lose this one, and. They, that's interesting because they have been quite poor, I think, in recent weeks and recent games. But this was probably an improved performance, yet they still lost. Um, they got the opener, of course, from from an absolute screamer and still managed to create 1.35 XG. And when you consider that that goal that Wilmot scored, as good as it was, that that's like a 0.02 XG. So they've still created so many clear-cut chances, but they didn't take them, crucially. Once you get your noses in front, it's very unlike a Michael O'Neill side to then gift it away in the in the manner they did as well. I mean, the Preston equaliser was very good from Potts, um, but then a free header in, inside the 18-yard box and central to goal for Hughes to win the game. Very unlike Stoke. Um, one win in six for them is a bit of a worry as well. And I do think they played better in this game than they did against Derby, for example, where they lost in midweek. Um, and when they lost in in a few of the other games over Christmas, Bristol City, they lost that as well. They're, they're creating the chances today, or they did in this game, which they haven't previously, didn't take them. And then very soft goals they've given away at the other end. Leo Ostergaard's been recalled. He, he was sort of in and out of the team, so I, I wouldn't put it down to that. But they've lost a body there. Of course, Suter's injured. Um, so it's interesting to see where they go from here, really, because they're in they're in a poor run of form. The home form in particular has dropped off. I don't think they've won in the last six, seven now, I think. I think it's, it's seven one, home games. One win in seven at home. Exactly. One point taken from the last four at home. And we would say that that has been the most impressive part of Michael O'Neill's work at Stoke, re, you know, recalibrating that form at home because it had fallen off, obviously, post-relegation, turned into a bit of a fortress. And one win in seven <clears> at home <throat> is is not really what you'd associate with Stoke. Neither is that defending for the, for the winning goal for Preston <laughs> either. So... Interesting to see where they go in these next couple of weeks. It is. It is. It's really strange how Stoke City's uh, season has mapped out in the last few weeks. Like you said, they they had the lion's share of the game against Preston. They ought to have won it with the chances that they created, but obviously they didn't. They'll probably play a lot worse between now and the end of the season and win games. But overall, I think it is becoming a bit of a concern for Stoke City and the fact that when you just look at their results in recent weeks, it's... It is becoming a little bit strange. I mean, they've only scored in three of the last six. They've scored one first half goal now in their last six games. So they seemingly are struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. And if you're not doing that, you you are going to be in trouble. And when you look at the list of Stoke City's top scorers this season, Nick Powell is their their main man at the minute with six. And obviously he's injured. Then it's Jacob Brown with five. Sam Surridge with four. There's not really anybody that is continuously banging the ball in the back of the net for Stoke. So that would suggest they they need to prioritise one area of the pitch during this January transfer window. For all of the, the good players that they've got at the top end of the pitch, there is nobody delivering on a consistent basis. I mean, when you look at the last few results, the scorers have had Wilmot, Ince, Campbell, Vrancic. They've only scored four goals in the last six games. 
Do you so think that, that there's a, a lack of consistency in selection? Because we saw Jacob Brown doing really well at some point this season. He's now not playing. Sam Surridge has never seemed to really get a run of games for me. And I like Sam Surridge. I think he can do that. Stephen Fletcher hasn't scored enough goals since he moved there. And obviously Tyrese Campbell's going to play and yeah. he's just coming back. So he's going to play. But who goes with him? You'd think Fletcher would be the most natural partner. He's not scoring enough goals. So you're adding too much burden on Campbell, you would say. Um, obviously, the missing Nick Powell, who would give goals from midfield, maybe too much on Vrancic to provide that. Where do they go in terms of that partnership, do you think? Well, I think obviously Tyrese Campbell is a certain starter. I'm a huge fan of his, but again, he is still working his way back from a long injury left. It's going to take him time to get back to his best. But for the type of player that he is in being quick and direct and skillful with the ball of his feet, you would think somebody of the Stephen Fletcher mould, who is big, physical, as we know what he's all about more than most, is the sort of character that you'd want alongside him. But at the same time, Stephen Fletcher should be scoring goals. He's an experienced championship player. He's not scored since the 1-0 win at Blackpool on the 3rd of November. That was the last time he scored. So it seems like nobody wants to pick up the baton and be Stoke City's main man to put the ball in the back of the net. And like you say, it's this home form that is really, really concerning now. And the fact that they've played three home games on the bounce, they've taken one point. They've only scored two goals. And like you said, it's their home form has been a strong feature under Michael O'Neill. But when you... I'm just looking at Stoke City's season results so far and it's very scattered. There's like a few wins, a few defeats, a couple of draws. They've, they've struggled with consistency, but they are still up there. They are still knocking the door, but a five-point gap has now developed between themselves and Huddersfield, but they do have two games in hand. But if you're not winning those games, it, they're pointless. So they are beginning to be cut adrift just that little bit. Their form in the last few weeks has faltered. So I think, like you said, Michael O'Neill needs to find a... a continuity in his selection choices. There's been a little bit too much chopping and changing for my liking. And hopefully, should we get the games moving as quickly and as freely as we want them to be? I'm just looking at the next few games. They've got Barnsby away, then Hull away, then Fulham at home as their next three. So really, they've got to get something from those two away games. Six points. Really have got to win those games. If they don't beat, with respect, a very poor Barnsley side, then for me, I think Stoke City could potentially be saying goodbye to the playoffs already because if he can't beat them, then you are not looking like a team capable of getting promotion. So it's a big period for Michael O'Neill. Obviously, the FA Cup's coming up this weekend. That'll probably see him make more changes again, but the league's going to be their main priority, of course. So they've got to try and turn things around. But interestingly, they have had a tendency to be better away from home in the, in the last few weeks. Four of Stoke's next five are away from home. So it uh, could be an opportunity for them to lay down a marker in the next few weeks if they get back to their best. But like you said, they've got to find some consistency. And above all else, they've got, to, they've got to find somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net because, as I say, they've only scored in three of the last six. It's, uh, it's a concern and it's coming around pretty quick because they were ticking along nicely. And it weren't that long ago, Elliot, you were thinking that this year was finally going to be the year. But didn't at the minute, it. it's, it's, it. it's not looking likely at the minute. I'm, I'm quite concerned about Stoke after three home games and not winning one of them. It's, uh, it is a little bit worrying, but there's a long way to go. Things can change quickly in this league, but they've got to turn things around very quickly, just like Birmingham have, as we were saying earlier on. Yeah, looking at Preston, of course, as well, they they won this game. So, you know, we've got to give plenty of credit to them and, and look at Ryan Lowe and what he's doing there. He's got a, a real reputation for converting central midfielders to wing-backs. He did it at Plymouth. He did it in, on the open in his debut um, against Barnsley for Preston. And he's done it again with Brad Potts here. And 
It's fair to say Brad Potts is someone that I've always quite liked. I actually think he's quite a good player, but he's had a bit of a rocky relationship <clears> with <throat> Preston fans. I think that he's clearly got talent, but he wasn't showing it on a consistent enough basis. Probably overplayed by Alex Neal and Frankie McAvoy before then. And his form probably didn't justify those minutes. But I think he's got a lot of attributes that can suit right wing back if that's where he's going to play consistently under Ryan Lowe. I mean, it's a fantastic finish for the equaliser. Really, really good you know, improvisation and scissor finish. And he's someone I quite like. And I think that that could be a role that really suits him. He's got boundless energy. He's got good quality in the final third generally, albeit, as I have to say, in, in a more central area, he struggled to show that regularly enough for the minutes he was given. And I think that's where the frustration bore out from Preston fans. And it's a position I quite like to see him in. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Brad Potts, I, I rated him quite highly when he was at Barnsley. I liked yeah. him there. And he was somebody that caught the eye when they were flying high in League One them years ago. And he, he has been a little bit hit and miss with Preston. But overall, I do think he is a player that brings something different to, the, to that Preston team. And I think he has got the potential under a new manager, under new ideas to thrive. And I, he does actually catch me as the type of player that could play wide and in that wing-back role. And Seemingly, it is the, the way that Ryan Lowe wants to make the full use of him. And I think with Brad Potts, we know that he's got a goal threat in him. He, he's mm-hmm. scored goals in the past. And if he can come in off that off that right-hand side and do that, as he did at Stoke on on Monday, there, there is the potential for him to be a key player in what Ryan Lowe is trying to achieve. But overall, I think Preston have, for me, got it absolutely bang on the money going for Ryan Lowe. Something new, something fresh, something different, something imaginative. And I'm really excited to see what they can do under him. And I mean I mean that in long term, not just between now and the end of the season. But I mean, if they get recruitment good in the summer and he gets to get the players that he wants and who he wants to work with, they could be a real dark horse, I think, for the playoffs next season. I've got a feeling. I know he's only had two games in charge, but the signs are certainly promising. And as I said to you earlier on, I, I, I backed Preston to win at Stoke on, on Monday. I was really confident about their chances. And then they did that. I mean, brilliant finish from Brad Potts with the first one. And then Hughes pops up with the second. Uh, unmarked, gets the job done. And for me, the Preston fans have deserved this because they've had to put up with a lot of a lot of mediocrity in the last few months. It was, like we said, a very uninspiring appointment going for Frankie McAvoy, even though he may have deserved it after a decent end to last season. But it didn't quite have the... The, the sexy factor to it, did it? It was very unimaginative. It was quite quite boring, if anything. So, if mm-hmm. we're going for Ryan Lowe, I think they've got it bang on the money. I think he's going to do well there. I think he's going to achieve something. And I think if they can get a few bodies through the door between now and the end of the month, there's no reason why they can't get on nine points off the playoffs. Anything's possible. I mean, it's not impossible. They've got three games in hand on Huddersfield. You never know. I think it's all to play for in this playoff race. It's becoming so wide open. Why shouldn't Preston have a have a have a crack at the crack at the whip and think they can get in there? So a lot of work to be done for Ryan Lowe, but after two games, six points, what complaints can he have? It's been a terrific start for him. So congratulations to him and well done to Preston. I think players will want to play for him in terms of summer recruitment. I think that's a bit yeah not not outlandish, but I think it's a bit far <laughs> to suggest they'll finish in the playoffs this season. But we have seen um, weak, you know, we've seen stronger runs than they would need. So it's not out of the question, yeah. but I, I wouldn't say so personally this season. But I think summer recruitment could be good because I think players will want to play for Ryan Lowe. And yeah, I think I agree. that he's making them harder to beat already. I think they would have buckled and probably lost 2-0 if this game had been under Frankie McAvoy and Stoke would have got a second. 
but they showed that character, got the equaliser on the arrow and then grew stronger and got the winner. So really good start for him at Deepdale. Bristol City 3, Millwall 2. Um, I want to do a bit more of a deep dive on Bristol City outside this game because I think we've seen this week in particular that this is going to be a huge rebuild job and I think we need to take off all our expectations on Nigel Pearson, if I'm being completely honest, because when you look how this club is going, they are shedding their skin and going again, essentially. Um, They deserve this win, first and foremost, as much for the performance against QPR as they did against Millwall. How they lost to QPR, I am not sure, because they played really, really well, and it was really unlucky that they lost. They didn't take the chances, that's how they lost ultimately, but they played well enough to beat QPR, who are a top six team. And they deserve to beat Millwall, I think, as well. Um, probably less so against Millwall, but QPR, they played really well. And when you look what Nigel Pearson's trying to do, he's trying to rebuild this club for the future. They lost £38 million in their most recent accounts that came out last week. But they've got a strong core of young players that they can rebuild this club around. And clearly, um, they've got the foundations and they're going to try and lower the wage bill and shed their skin a little bit. They recalled Riley Towler from Grimsby Town, who obviously I know very well, having covered... Uh, covering the Mariners week in, week out. Really good centre-half, um, ball-playing, left-footed. He did give away a penalty in this game and get hooked at half-time, admittedly. I'm not sure he's championship level at this current stage, but he's a very promising young player. And if, if um, Pearson's willing to put some time into him, I think he's got the quality on the ball to play in the championship. Probably needs a League 2, League 1 loan next, and we'll see how he develops. In the centre of defence, um, of course, they've discarded Daniel Bentley in the last few games after what seems more to be more of a discipline issue than actually um, form or even financial reasons. I think there's been a bit of a, a, dis, um, a disciplinary problem there. Max O'Leary coming in goal, good, promising young goalkeeper. I know a lot of people rate him quite highly. Masengo's played every week. He's still only 20 years old and he's played week in, week out. Eamon Benarus, he's coming to the team in central midfield, another one. And they've obviously got Atkinson at the back as well. They bought from Oxford. They've got Tyrese Backinson in there. Cameron Pring has completely ousted Jada Silva at left back. And we probably would have said that Jada Silva was one of the better left backs in the championship. And now he can't get a game because he's gone with a younger player in Cameron Pring. Alex Scott has, of course, been the star sort of poster boy of this new revolution, playing either at right wing back or more recently in attacking midfield. So you're seeing his influence grow on this team as well. And they have got little bits of quality in and around that. Callum O'Dowd is playing really well at the moment down the left wing. He's given them natural width. He had a really good game against uh, QPR. He was someone that really stood out. And then they've got Andy Vyman, who, of course, got a hat-trick to win them this game. And he's that extra bit of class that can help these younger players. And I think they are, you know it's quite well known they are looking for a striker, a number nine this, this month, Bristol City, having lost Jeju. Narky Wells isn't getting a kick under Nigel Pearson. And I think he's going to get rid of the likes of De Silva. Narky Wells, maybe even Bentley. Callas probably maybe in the summer, although he's playing regularly. And I think he's going to invest in these young players. And I think it's probably the best way for Bristol City to go about it. And whilst they're still looking for this striker, playing Andy Vyman up front is probably the best thing they can do because I think he's their most natural goal scorer. I think that you've got people like Semenyo and um, O'Dowell that can play on the right and the left that can give him the service. And we've seen here that he's got the goal-scoring instinct to score goals. I think he's in double figures now for the season. And if you play him up front, perhaps, you know, he's sort of scored in dribs and drabs. He's sort of got a hat-trick here, a brace there, and then not scored for a few, quite a few games. But if he plays up front, they might get more out of him. 
And I think Nigel Pearson, I think we need to take the expectation off this season. And I think as long as they don't get drawn into the relegation battle and get relegated, if they finish 17th, 15th, 16th, with the context of where the club is at, I don't think it's a bad season for Bristol City. No, I would agree with all of that. And I'm, I'm going to start with Andreas Weiman because you finished on him and I'll start on him. His statistics, his statistics have gone very much under the radar. And I'm going to deliver a stat here that I think will surprise you. You may know it already, but you may not. Only four players in the Championship have had more direct goal contributions than him this season in the whole league. That does surprise me. Although I, there you go. he's done all right for goals. but 16 goal contributions this season now. 12 goals, four assists. It's really come as a huge shock when I worked that one out. So it proves just how influential he is to that Bristol City side. Um, when you think about it, obviously, he's a, motor, a lot of his career has been played as a second striker, out wide, but now he's playing in that, in that front line as the main man. He is thriving for Bristol City. And for me, I think even though he's 30 now and it seems like they want to build a young squad at the minute with the form he's in, they should be building it around him. There's no point offloading a player that's delivering the goods and producing the goods week in, week out. I think he minute, is someone that, that would stay. He signed a new three-year deal in the summer, so I yeah. think he would be one that they would build around. But I think he's <laughs> seen with some of the other players, like De Silva, for example, I think he thinks he's got younger players that are just as good on less money. Yeah, most probably. And like you said, it, Bristol City are now at a point where Operation Rebuild is underway. They've spent a lot of money in the over the years. They've chucked a hell of a lot out in a bid to get to the Premier League. It's not worked out quite how they would have liked. Um, there's a lot of interest now, apparently, from the Bundesliga in Masengo. Apparently, get to see Freiburg is sniffing around him. So, it'll be interesting if they retain his services uh, during this month's transfer window. He's, he's only 20. His stock is going to rise with more games he plays. So, Bristol City, no doubt, will be wanting to keep him and try and acquire the biggest price possible, whenever that may be. But I think the one that's caught my eye out of all the youngsters of Bristol City this season, I've not seen masses of Bristol City, but when I've watched them in dribs and drabs, young Alex Scott, I've been very impressed by him. He looks quite a, just one of those players that you look at and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on him. He, he looks some, he, something he special. He gives vibes a little bit. And I don't He's know only why. 18. There's a really promising potential, I think, around, uh, around him. And so there is a lot of young players. And I mean, when you look at this Bristol City side, and I'm just looking at their squad list, there is a lot of unrecognisable names that really is breaking into that team that you think, who are they? But there is also some experienced players in there still, such as your Chris Martins, your Danny Simpsons, your Andy, your Andy King, your O'Dowders. But it seems like they're wanting to get away from that and go down the, the route of, of young, exciting talent. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do over the coming months, Bristol City. Nigel Pearson went in there seemingly with the, everybody thought, the vision of, galvanising a promotion push and getting them back on track and it's just turned out to be now this major rebuild which when he probably went in there he probably didn't even think he was going to have to do that won't have even crossed his mind but I'm surprised he stuck around actually I didn't think he would stay at the end of last season I thought he would go so I think for me it's uncharted territory for him for Nigel Pearson he's not really done this before it's something a little bit different he's always been the the promotion winning expert that's going to come in and do that but now he's got a completely strip the squad back and start again so it's a new challenge for him it's a new challenge for Bristol City at the end of the day they started doing that last summer they got rid of a hell of a lot of experienced players just to name a few Jimmy Patterson Lansbury Jack Hunt Famara Jeju uh, Marley Watkins there were so many that they got rid of and they didn't really bring anything in that was 
exactly exciting, in my opinion. The recruitment wasn't great, but it was probably a sign that we want to go down the youth route. That's what we want to do. We would, we want to invest in our own young players and see what they can bring to the table. And I think overall, I think even though the fund's been patchy, the young players haven't done bad. But for Bristol City, for the money they've invested in the past, they've got to soon be aiming higher. 15th in the table at the minute. Mid-table mediocrity season after season is not going to suffice forever. They've got to make that leap and go for the go for the jugular and make that next step. So it's a big rebuild job that's got to be done, but it is a question of how patient will Bristol City's fans want to be. I think I think that's how you've got to look at it. I think you can say that with any rebuild and any set of supporters. There's got to be progress yeah. at some point, but it's going to be gradual. <coughs> um, and I think when he's playing so many young players, you've got to give him some time and a bit of credit for that. Millwall's last eight games, George, this will come as no shock to you. Um, three draws, then loss, win, loss, win, loss. Just no consistency whatsoever. Um, the only silver lining in that is Tom Bradshaw's um, scored in his last five games, which is good for him. So he's finding he is, on fire. he is on fire at the minute, but Millwall are not. West Brom won, Cardiff City won. Um, Valerian Ismail losing his cool in this one, I think it's fair to say. He was one of three red cards after the final whistle and Alex Mower even before that. So that got a bit feisty and heated. In fairness, a couple of bad refereeing decisions, but one each way in my opinion. Callum Robinson, miles offside. Well, not miles offside, but he's quite clearly offside for the equaliser. We can spot it from the naked eye. Um, he's offside. So that, that equaliser shouldn't have stood. But then equally, West Brom definitely should have had a penalty right at the death. Um, Connor Townsend getting brought down. And then the full-time whistle goes and Ismail just goes storming off um, onto the pitch. You can't really berate a referee like that, in fairness. It's not great from Ismail. We're making light of it, but although we want to see emotion and passion, it's not it's not a great look in it. Equally, you would say that players are a reflection of their manager, so we'll see how that goes. They're disciplined this season. I think West Brom have had a fair few red cards, if we're being um, <clears throat> fair. The frustration with his forwards as well. It saw Tom Fellows given a start ahead of the likes of Grady Dean Garner and Jordan Hugel. And he impressed against Derby as a substitute. I know you watched that game, as you said. And he got a first start here. But now Daryl DK through the door, of course, someone he worked with at Barnsley. That's a permanent deal. So that is a huge sign of faith from the board of West Brom. You know, they gave Ismail a four-year deal in the summer. I think it's fair to say that if he got sacked now, I don't think West Brom fans would be gutted because of the style of football. But now they've invested in a style of striker who suits everything that he wants to do. So really, between now and the end of the season, we've got to see an improvement for Ismail because there's not much excuse now because he's got a tailor-made centre-forward who will have cost them... I don't. I mean, it was undisclosed, so I don't know what he's cost them, but I would expect at least £10 million because of the the sort of fees that were quoted when Barnsley were potentially looking in at the back end of last season. Interesting to see how West Brom really go from here. Another draw. They've drawn too many games at home against teams that they should be beating. DK's got to be that difference. And it's putting a lot of onus on him as well because he's not played for a couple of months with the MLS season closing down. So he's going to need a bit of time to get up to match speed. But it's time that probably West Brom don't have to give him. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Um, I think on DK, I think I saw a figure the other day somewhere around eight or nine million pounds, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. So it's it's big money for a player that, as you say, is going to be expected to produce the goods and be the difference. But overall, I think West Brom are really, really looking uninspired at the minute. They're struggling to score goals. 
when the winning game is the winning games by one goal. They've not scored three in a game since the 23rd of October. So I think they are they are experiencing a really difficult patch. And to me, Valerie Ismail, with some of the comments he made after the weekend, and yeah, rightfully so angered by the penalty, but it's got to be balanced with the fact that that goal should not have stood. It evens it out for me. It happens. Yeah, the referees made a mistake in not giving the penalty. The linesman's made a mistake in awarding the goal. It, it happens. We, it's football. It's what makes it what it is. We love it, really, as much as it may for us straight West Brom fans, but we love it. But the thing is, West Brom, for me, and Valerie Nismel in particular, is coming across a little bit arrogant at the minute, and I'm not liking the way he's acting. I think he's acting almost like a little bit of a man under pressure, and I think it's getting to him that little bit because I think There's obviously a little bit expect- of petulance, isn't there? That's there is. The right, that's probably the there right is. word for it. For me, he's coming across a little bit different to what he used to be like, and I'm not. I'm maybe it's me, but I'm not liking it. I think it's a little bit arrogant and a little bit hot-headed, and it's just a little bit like kind of it's going against us, and I'm going to take it out on somebody else. West Brom, for me, from what I've seen in the last few weeks, do not look like a side at the minute capable of a winning promotion. They're not. For me, looking at anywhere near as good as, say, Blackburn, Bournemouth at the minute, I'm quite worried for them. I really am. I saw them against Derby and I thought they were pretty, pretty average, to be fair. Wasn't in, impressed at all. So they've got to try and find a way to improve their fortunes very, very quickly. And it's hoped that obviously the signing of DK, which I think is a good one, I was very impressed by him last season at Barnsley. I, I like what I saw and completely unknown quantity to the league, but he soon made himself known to everybody who follows the championship. So he's got to go in there and make an impact. Like you say, the goals have not been flowing recently, so there is going to be an onus on him. There's going to be pressure on his on his shoulders. But when you look at West Brom's next few games, it's it's a tough batch of fixtures, to be fair, with one or two that you would expect them to win. The rest are quite difficult. They've got QPR away next. Then they've got Peterborough at home. They've got to beat Peterborough at home. That is a must-win game. If they don't win that one, then they are in trouble. Then they've got Preston at home. That won't be easy. Trip to Millwall's never easy. Then they've got Bournemouth at home. So they've got some big games coming up that quite easily could be could be very difficult for them to navigate their way through. So I think Valerie Ismail's got to take a step back. I think he's got to take the stock of what's happened. I think the break from the championship for a couple of weeks will help him, even though the FA Cup gives them a gives them a tie against a, a Premier League side in Brighton at the weekend, which for me, I think West Brom should realistically just sack off. I don't think they are going to be bothered about it. It's not a competition that they're going to win with with respect. They're not going to go all the way and win it. So they've got to focus on the league. And based on what we've seen the last few weeks, they've got to book their ideas up and very, very quickly. Because when you think about what they've been up against, they've been up against the bottom two in Barnsley and Derby, taken one point from those two games, been held to a draw at home by Cardiff, who Cardiff, to be fair, played very, very well and would have got all three points if it wasn't for that that, um, dubious goal. So it's three games that you on paper you'd have expected West Brom to win and they've they've not won any of them. So there's problems brewing, I think, at the Hawthorns for me. And like I say, Valerie's male just just to me, I could be wrong, but he's just coming across almost like he wants to put the blame on somebody else and not think that his side are doing anything wrong. And for me, I think they've got to go back to what they were doing at the start of the season where they were proving entertaining to watch. I saw quite a bit of them in the first few weeks. I thought they're gonna be the team to beat here, West Brom. They look a really good side. And for whatever reason, it's just not happening at the minute. So they've got to, got to sort things out. They've got to get DK up to speed pretty quickly. And Valerie Nismail's got to find a way to get his side not only winning games again, but looking convincing and, and scoring goals again. Because for the players they've got all over the pitch, that they are capable of a lot, lot better than what they're producing at the minute. Yeah, it was a good point for Cardiff as well. But they've had a, a pretty significant blow um, in the aftermath of that game because Ryan Giles has been recalled by Wolves. 
Um, he'd already got nine assists for them this season and his quality from left wing back has been massive for them. So that's going to be a big miss for them moving forward. Interesting to see if they can try and replace him in the January window. Blackpool 1, Hull City 0. I have to say, I think Hull were a little bit unlucky to lose this one. Um, I'm not convinced from the angles that I've seen that it was a penalty. Because if you look at the way the ball deviates when Jacob Greaves makes the tackle, I think he gets some of the ball. Now, the angles aren't brilliant, so he might not have, and there might be an angle I've not seen where it is a stonewall penalty. But just looking at the the physics of it as much as anything, I'm not convinced that's a penalty, personally. Um, but I would I would say I probably need a better angle. Grimshaw pulled off two fantastic saves as well. First one from Honeyman was a phenomenal effort because it struck low, it deflects up and pops up, and he puts a big left arm, manages to claw it out from the goal. Really good save. Um and then another good save at the end from Tyler Smith, albeit he should absolutely bury it. So that one was a bad miss as much as a good save. Um, and Honeyman should. Honeyman's was a really good save and nothing he could really do more than the strike he produced. So I think Hull were unlucky and on another day they would win this game. Especially when you look at the stats. I mean, 1.13 XG for Blackpool versus 1.53 for Hull. Hull didn't score and... Um, obviously Blackpool's XG is massively boosted by the penalty because a penalty is worth about, what, 0.8, 0.75 XG? So when you look at that, you're looking at outside of penalties, non-penalty XG of 0.4 versus 1.53. I think we can see this was a game that Hull on another day could have won. That said, Blackpool have been much better recently, better defensively in particular, um, and they're seeing games through and they're back up into the top half of the table now. So, Lots of credit for Neil Critchley, but I do think this was a game that on another weekend, Hull City might have won. Yeah, I think so. And I was watching uh, Soccer Saturday, actually, while this game was being played and Michael Dawson was covering the game. He said it was just chance after chance for Hull and Grimshaw and the Blackpool goal was being their saviour. So on another day, like you say, Blackpool probably would have taken, uh, Hull would rather would have taken something from that game. But for, for Blackpool, it's a win that they needed. It's a good start to the new year and a clean sheet as well. Because they, they have slumped in recent weeks and it's not been a case of them doing masses wrong. It's just a case of they've had some had some difficult opponents, a bit of luck's gone against them. I think the Peterborough like win was a really big win. It was. It was a it was a game that they had to win and it kind of just settled them back into the groove a little bit and, and got them moving again. But I mean, we're twenty six games into the season for Blackpool now, slap bang in the middle of the table, thirty three points to the name. Any Blackpool fan would have snapped your hand off at that at the first weekend in August. So They've done very, very well in their first season back in the Championship after so long away. They've done really, really well. I mean, when you think about it, over the Christmas period, they beat Peterborough, beat Hull, lost to Huddersfield, lost to Middlesbrough. It's not a bad return, really, with the way Huddersfield and Middlesbrough are going at the minute. So Could have beat Huddersfield and, as well. And they were very unfortunate against Middlesbrough, let's not forget, in the way that game dramatically ended last week. So they could have quite easily ended the week with, with eight points instead of six. They could have easily drawn those two games or possibly even more against Huddersfield, like you say. So, I think Blackpool can be can be proud of what they've achieved in the first season back in the Championship after so long away. So, fair play to them. Uh, FA Cup for them this weekend, like every other Championship side. So, they'll uh, be looking for a good result in that and, and kick on after a, a good start to the year against all. Yep, and finally rounding off with Blackburn Rovers nil, Huddersfield <laughs> Town nil. This is a really good point for Huddersfield. They're now unbeaten in six, and they're up to sixth as well, obviously in the final playoff place, although there's a lot of games in hand. And points per game, they're probably not sixth, but they're there at the minute on merit, and those teams have got to win those games um, in hand. 
And I just think we've probably not spoken about Huddersfield enough. I think we need to give them so much more credit for the transformation we've seen this season. A couple of stats. It took them 35 games to get to 39 points last term. They've done it in 25 this season. Um, so 30 points more available last season to get to the same level of points. Recruitment in the summer, we've spoken about a fair bit. It didn't look amazing. It's been pretty, pretty good. There's been some sublime signings, particularly that defence. That defence has been transformed. And in fairness, they have completely changed the defence in terms of personnel, in terms of the goalkeeper, the right wing back, all three centre-halves. Harry Toffolo is the only consistent <laughs> one. But they've done that without spending any money. They've not spent a single pound to bring those five new players in. And the defensive records, chalk and cheese. They conceded the most goals in the championship last season. And this season, they've already got 10 clean sheets in 26 games. Only Travers and Sam Johnson have kept more clean sheets than Lee Nichols. And Schofield only kept seven for context in 30 games last season. So the upgrades they've made in those positions without spending any money. Tom Lee's free signing. Matty Pearson free signing. Sorber Thomas breakthrough star playing at right wing back. Toffler was obviously there. And then Lee Nichols. Uh, in goal and Levi Colwell who's been fantastic on loan from Chelsea so their recruitment has got better as the season's gone on in terms of hindsight and they are way overperforming where they should be for the squad they've got and I want to give Carlos Corbran credit for that I want to give the um, recruitment team credit for that I think Daniel sanani has been a really good addition as well I've liked when I've seen him playing in those pockets in the 3-4-3 and I think you can see by the lack of you know, they were so reliant on Josh Caroma last season. He can't even get in the team this season. Um, and that's partly through Huddersfield's natural improvement and also his dip in form. But it just gives some some context of to where they are. They're a much more rounded team. They're a million miles a, a different team defensively. And they're still playing out from the back. You know, they've not abandoned the Carlos Corbran philosophy. And we were saying last season, could they do it? Well, clearly with better players, but that's not you know, been reflected. It's not like they spent buckets of money to do that, but they've got better players in. They're still playing out from the back. Corbrand's probably learned to be a little bit more pragmatic at certain points in the in the season, in games. And they totally deserve to be where they are. Yeah, I couldn't argue with any of that. They've done very, very well. And I think they've surprised pretty much everybody, to be honest with you. Because they've had so many seasons since dropping out of the Premier League of consistently flirting with the, not relegation, but they've been... Not Certainly that. in the lower reaches of the bottom half, but they've never looked like they were going to go down, sort of thing. I mean, I, don't, looked... I wouldn't agree with that. I thought they were going to go down up last season. They were, they no, were I awful. Didn't. They were I awful. Thought they were... I thought, in comparison to what else was down there, I thought they would be fine. But this season, it's been a a remarkable transformation. It really has. I think that the fact that, like you said, that they've done it without spending anything in terms of transfer fees is is unbelievable. To be fair and. At the start of the season, I looked at the signs and I thought, these really are not very inspiring at all. These They're really not. They're going to struggle again. But they've defied expectations massively. They've improved, like you say, position for position. Levi Colwell at centre-half for me has been outstanding. I think he's been absolutely excellent. I think he's got a massive future ahead of him. It's another one off the Chelsea production line that you think could go on to make a name for himself in the Premier League in years to come. So he got that one bang on the money, did Carlos Corbran and the recruitment team. Tom Lees has brought um, a vast amount of experience to the back line. Lee Nichols has made the step up and done very, very well. Sorber Thomas at the other end of the pitch has been excellent. Jordan Rhodes is now back and if they can get him firing and getting a few goals here and there, that's going to add another dimension to it. Danny Ward's chipped in, he's been good. 
just been so many good individual performances and it's clubbed together to make a really solid, compact team work. And when you look at the current form, six unbeaten, back-to-back clean sheets away at Forest and Blackburn, who have been flying of late. That is a remarkable effort. It really is, to have taken four points from those two games without conceding. So it's impossible not to admire what Carlos Corbrand's done. And I said when he got the job, that Huddersfield were going to have to require patience with this for him to play the way he wants them to play with the right fit, the right players. It's taken its time, but it now seems like it is going to work. So it was always going to be key, the patience that Huddersfield fans were going to have to show. And now they have. And when you think back to the very, very beginning of the season, when they lost 5-1 to Fulham in that second game, they looked absolutely awful. They responded from that so well. Since that game, their biggest margin of defeat was the 3-0 defeat to Bournemouth. And the last three defeats, they've only lost by one goal. So in the games they're losing, they're still in them. They're tied. So apart from being beaten convincingly by the the automatic promotion chasers, they've been pretty much in every game they've played this season. So you've got to give huge credit to Carlos Corbran. He's achieved something that, for me, is ahead of schedule. I didn't see this coming at all this season, particularly after recruitment in the summer. So hats off to him. Done really, really well. They're playing good football. They're consistently getting results on the board now. Uh, and with a home game against Swansea City to come after the FA Cup weekend, there's no reason for me why they can't get another three points on the board and continue this good run because they're playing with confidence. The players are clearly enjoying what they're doing. They're, they're winning games. They're keeping clean sheets. So, fair play to them. It's been a quite remarkable transformation. So, Carlos Corbran, for me, I think he's got to be considered up there for, for manager of the season at the minute in terms of what he's achieved. Yeah, he's been he's transformative effect this season. They've really improved. Him. I think you could go through the starting eleven and say every player in that starting eleven has probably improved their form from last season, which you've got to put down to the manager. That does mark the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Of course, thank you as always for listening. If you do enjoy our podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast apps and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Champ Chat Pod Twenty Four. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to help us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly breakdowns, please do drop a retweet on the podcast when each episode goes live. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in the podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week. Happy New Year from myself and George. And we'll be back next week for a special episode with the Championship taking a a brief pause for FA Cup action. Have a great week. See you soon. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.